Hello, everyone. Welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Marianne Lawhon, president of the Greater Hazleton Area Chapter and executive director of The Voice of John. I'm joined today by Maria Gallagher. Maria is the legislative director of the Pennsylvania Federation. Hello, Maria. Hello, it's so good to be with you today. Thank you. It's an honor to co-host with Maria during this interim time. Over the past month, we've had several goodbyes to our Pennsylvania pro-life director for these past two decades, Michael Chikachopo, to our educational director, Bonnie Finnerty, and also to National Right to Life director of almost four decades, Dr. David Osteen. 2023 ushers in a new era in defending humanity as our state's newsletter headlined, A New Day is Dawning. Today, Maria and I are privileged to speak with Scott Fishbaugh, who on January 1st assumed the position as executive director of the nation's oldest and largest pro-life organization, the National Right to Life. Our podcast today gives us an opportunity to get to know Scott to share his vision and goals as he leads us into the next chapters of the pro-life movement. Additionally, Maria is going to update us on the president's very pro-abortion agenda. But first, let's begin today's program with a very profound pro-life story, a story of inspiration, of hope, of the messages and lessons to be learned in the most devastating moments of life. I read this in our Hazleton paper, but I'm sure it was um, throughout the country people have been reading. Residents digging through a collapsed building in a northwest Syrian town discovered a crying infant whose mother appears to have given birth to her while buried underneath the rubble from this week's devastating earthquake. The newborn girl's umbilical cord was still attached to her mother, Afra Abu Hadia, who was dead. The baby was the only member of her family to survive from the building collapse on Monday in the small town of Jindaris next to the Turkish border. Last Monday's pre-dawn 7.8 magnitude earthquake caused widespread damage across southern Turkey and northern Syria. The death toll is now over 31,000, with casualties still climbing as bodies are found. The newborn baby was rescued more than 10 hours after the quake struck. After rescuers dug her out, a female neighbor cut the cord and she and others rushed the little girl to a children's hospital in the nearby town of Afrin, where she has been kept in an incubator, said Dr. Marouf, her attending doctor. 
Video of the rescue circulating on social media shows the moment after the baby was removed from the rubble as the man lifts her up, her umbilical cord still dangling and rushes away. Another man throws him a blanket to wrap the baby. The baby's body temperature had fallen to 95 degrees and she had bruises, including a large one on her back. Abu Hadia must have been conscious during the birth and likely died soon after, Dr. Maruf said. He estimated the baby was born several hours before being found, given the amount her temperature had dropped. If the child had been born several hours before the quake, she wouldn't have survived so many hours in the cold. If she had been left for an hour more, she would have died. When the earthquake hit just before dawn on Monday, Abu Hadia, her husband, and four children apparently tried to rush out of their apartment building, but the structure collapsed on them. Their bodies were found near the building entrance. The baby was found in front of her mother's leg, and after the dust and rocks were removed, the little one was found to be alive. Dr. Maruf said the baby weighed seven pounds, an average weight for a newborn, and so was carried nearly to term. The only concern was the bruise on her back, and we have seen many problems with her, and we have to see if there are any problems with her spinal cord, but she is moving her arms and legs normally. On Tuesday, past week, Abu, along with her baby's father and four siblings, were laid to rest in a cemetery on the outskirts of Jindaris. I contemplated on this tragedy, imagining how so often God speaks in our darkest moments. Amongst the rubble, God spoke a message of compassion, new life through the gift of a newborn, a seven-pound little girl whose very life represented strength and hope. While last week her mom, Abu Hadiyah was laid to rest. A part of her will live on through the life of her little baby girl. My body, God speaks. This child who is still connected to her mama by the umbilical cord defied death as she laid beside her mother as she was dying. Her mother's final act was to give birth amongst death, to leave this world with a glimpse of hope rising from the rubble. Our prayers for the people in Turkey and Syria who have lost so very much. And now, Maria, our legislative of, uh, alert, our, our legislative updates from you. Yes, thank you so much, Marianne. The following is from a National Right to Life news release. During the State of the Union address, President Biden once again committed his administration to supporting abortion extremism. During the State of the Union, Joe Biden said that Congress must codify Roe v. Wade, said Carol Tobias, president of the National Right to Life Committee. Biden also clearly stated that he and Vice President Harris are doing everything we can to protect abortion without limits. As president, Joe Biden and his administration have aggressively promoted abortion without limits. Since entering office, President Biden has become the most pro-abortion president in history. His administration has promoted abortion around the world by reversing the Protecting Life and Global Health Assistance Program, which prevented federal taxpayer dollars from being used by abortion groups to perform or promote abortion overseas. 
The Biden administration strongly supported the Radical Women's Health Protection Act, which would essentially remove all legal protections for unborn children on the federal and state level and prevent future protections for unborn children. They've supported eliminating the Hyde Amendment, which prevents the use of federal funds to pay for abortions, except in cases of rape, incest, or to save the life of the mother, and have considered actions to advance access to abortion, including an effort to encourage states to apply for Medicaid waivers to pay for abortion travel. The Biden administration and the Democratic Party have yet to hear of an abortion they wouldn't support, said Tobias. Tragically, women and their unborn babies will be the ones to suffer. Marianne? Thank you, Maria. Thank you for that update. Very sad, though. Um, we are so pleased today to be here with Scott Fishbaugh, who comes to us with a strong history of defending life, serving the great state of Minnesota as director director of Minnesota Citizens Concern for Life. Additionally, you have served on the campaign staff of some of America's great leaders and as an advisor to many public officials. So our movement moves forward with leaders bringing new gifts to the arena. So Scott, welcome. Did you come here from Minnesota, Scott, or did are yes. you from here? Wow. Yes. I'm from Minnesota. Like of Pennsylvania. <laughs> Thank you. Good. Scott, um, the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation welcomes you and the Commonwealth citizens want to get to know you. So can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you. Thank you for having me today. I have actually been involved uh, in the pro-life movement for uh, my entire life, actually. Um, my parents were involved uh, through our church. I'm the ninth of nine kids. So I'm the, the baby of, uh, of our family. And, um, you know, we, we were active at our church. And I went to a March for Life uh, when I was younger um, and were active in uh, high school and college and then did an internship um, with National Right to Life, actually became the National Right to Life field director in the early 90s. Um, before my wife and I went back to, to Minnesota and, and uh, raised our two kids and and uh, uh, we've just always been active in the pro-life movement. I actually realized that it was 22 years um, that I served as the executive director of MCCL in, in Minnesota. I, it, it goes so fast. Uh, the time really does go fast uh, in, when we're working on this issue. Um, but yeah, we, we've been, uh, Michelle and I've been married, I think now for 35 years. We've got our two kids that are growing, six grandkids that are, yeah. that are wonderful. Um, and uh, Michelle actually uh, is a uh, member of Congress from, from our home state of Minnesota. She represents the 7th District of, of uh, Minnesota and uh, is, is part of the pro-life caucus in, in Congress. So both of us have, have backgrounds in the pro-life movement. We've both worked in the pro-life movement and are just thrilled to now uh, be uh, in D.C. working uh, with National Right to Life as well. Wow, thank, what a wonderful background to come in with, Scott. So the horizon of the pro-life movement faces many, many new challenges, particularly chemical abortion, healthcare rationing, 
its counterpart of euthanasia and assisted suicide. So can you speak to our listeners about these issues and importantly, how to empower those of us at the grassroots, how to in encourage our efforts to up our game as we are challenged to face these issues in our presentations, in our education and within our communities? Well, that's, that's a great question. Uh, we have so much work to do. Um, yeah. it, we really, it, it seems like the attacks on innocent life are coming from every direction, whether mm -hmm. they're coming uh, through the medical community, through social media, through, um, you know, the, the, the mainstream media, all sorts of different uh, attacks are, are coming um, much faster than what they have in the past. Um, so it's yes. important for us to really advance that whole culture of, of life and that the importance of life from conception all the way to a natural death is, is to be uh, held as, as one of the greatest rights and greatest human rights um, that needs to be protected. You know, on the, on the abortion end of things, when, and when we're looking at the beginning of life, um, we have made huge strides. Of course, getting rid of Roe versus Wade, which was wrongly decided all those years ago, now is part of uh, the the history of our country. Thank God, um, it opened up the avenue for real protections to be put in place now um, that can can actually. Uh, shut down the abortion clinics, restore protection, and, and empower uh, women to, to choose life. And we've already got over a dozen states across the country where the unborn are protected. And we need to move each state to that position. But what Dobbs did was really touched off 50, 50 state fights. Um, in addition to the continued national fight that we have in Congress, so we're really fighting on, on, on 51 different playing fields simultaneously uh, when it comes to the abortion issue. Um, yes. when, it, when it comes to the, the end of life issues and, and you're talking about healthcare rationing and um, these, these horrible laws of assisted suicide um, and, and uh, you know, we, we've got to do what we can. I think it's seven states currently have bills before their legislature to, um, uh, legalize assisted suicide. And, you know, we really need to to strengthen our, our approach on that issue and our messaging on that issue that, you know, what they're asking to do is, is actually kill people that are, that, uh, you know, that, that have years of their lives left to live. Um, you know, these are individuals that um, need support, they need medical care, they need hospice, they need, um, you know, palliative care that yes. can actually help extend, extend their lives. And again, it all comes back both, both on both ends of the issue. It comes back to this idea of we are human beings, human beings have human rights, and it is the, the, the foundational beginning of all of us that life is the first right. You know, it, it's it is the first right. It's paramount. There's a, a a great Democrat from Minnesota, Hubert Humphrey, who said that every society is going to be judged on how we treat life in the dawn, in the dusk, and in the shadow of life. And and I think that those words are are, are very profound. Um, 
that we are all going to be accountable for how we respected our fellow persons um, and our fellow human beings. And uh, I, I think we can bring that approach and bring that grassroots strength to our elected officials, because that's what Dom said. We now have the power to protect innocent human life um, on the local level and local people can be in touch with their local representatives and elected officials. Sadly, uh, the current president does not seem to be following the legacy of Hubert Humphrey. Um, and in fact, he appears to be the most pro-abortion president in U.S. history. Can you explain why we designate him with that term? Because we, we've been through the Clinton years. We've been through the Obama years. How can this be worse than that? Well, if, if you remember uh, uh, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton used to talk about how abortion should be safe and legal and, and rare. Um, the Democrats of today, unfortunately, have gone over the cliff when it comes to abortion. They really, they've really gone off the chart uh, in supporting abortion. None of them are talking about having abortions be rare anymore. Um, instead, we see in, on some of the state legislative levels, they're even trying to cut programs that directly help women through care centers. They've gone that far over the cliff. Just in Congress last month, there were two different votes in, this, in the uh, House of Representatives. One was on a, a, a very simple statement that this violence that has been happening uh, in, uh, to pro-life groups, to pro-life care centers um, is, is wrong and that it should be investigated uh, better by the government. Um, that was almost a, a entirely partisan vote. The Republicans were saying, yes, we wanna look into this violence and we condemn it. And the Democrats were saying, uh, no. Uh, the other thing is, is on the, uh, the Born Alive bill that came up before Congress. Uh, I think we only had one or maybe two Democrats. And these are for babies that have already survived their abortion and are just needing care. And yet almost every Democrat in the House of Representatives said no. Um, that's how far the current administration, the Biden administration has, has taken uh, the Democratic Party um, and it and it's and it's sad because I would hope and I would I would think that the innocent unborn child should have protectors and supporters in both parties. But but it's it's unfortunate that we are where we are. And it is also President Biden um, who has has is directing his departments. He's he's been uh, petitioning to the U.S. Supreme Court. They use the COVID pandemic to to push abortion pills. Uh, around the country. Um, they've been hammering on the FDA to expand uh, uh, abortion. So he has stated that he was going to use the full weight of the federal government to promote abortion. And that's exactly what President Biden has done. Thank you. You know, Scott, one question I've been asked in the last couple of presentations, and I, I wanna know exactly how you would answer, um, since Roe has been overturned, and now we have the president encouraging codifying Roe, what exactly are we, where are we moving with this? Well, there's there's gonna continue to be a federal push by the, the Biden administration to try to codify Roe versus Wade and bring us back, uh, take us backwards. Um, but the house is, is not 
going to agree to that. So because of the pro-life majority that we have in the U.S. House, their efforts to codify Roe versus Wade and and to install it, enshrine it in federal statute, um, we should be able to beat back. Um, now, having said that, it doesn't mean we have to stop contacting our elected officials because we do. They have to know. Even those that we know are against us need to know that I am a pro-life citizen. I do not want you to codify Roe versus Wade. And um, I hope that you'll reconsider your position if you're against us. And for our friends, they need to know, um, stand up, stand up for the unborn. Make sure um, that you, know, you are our elected official and we want you to send and lend your voice for the unborn. And I think those are the types of efforts that are, that are going to uh, uh, resonate. Um, the members of Congress keep track of how many people contact them on issues. Their staff is continually monitoring whether they're receiving pro-abortion or pro-life mail, calls, emails. So we've got to be there. We've got to be, regardless of whether we know where, they're, where the elected official stands, both sides need to hear from us that we want a pro-life nation. We want a pro-life Pennsylvania. Definitely. And Scott, what is your vision for the pro-life movement nationally in this post-Roe era? Well, that's that's a big question um, because, as I mentioned, we do have fifty-one fights uh, on on our hands, um, and I think we can start to uh, divide the states up into maybe five or six different categories where their laws stand currently. Whether it's a state constitution, whether it's a state statute, um, you know, we we need to address where each state is is at. So, say in a Mississippi. Uh, we just need to keep the law where it's at and beef up the the care center uh, support and and make sure that the care centers are are fully funded and able to provide uh, the the support that they need. Um, say in a state where like maybe a California or a New York, obviously we need to do a lot more education about the humanity of the unborn child. Uh, we need to do a lot more education about just how extreme uh, those that support abortion have become. Well, at the same time, beefing up those those alternatives. But as we have 50 state fights, we also need to, I think, create some type of a minimum standard on the federal level that each state should uh, attain, whether it is going to be parental involvement or a national uh, period of reflection or a uh, parental involvement with notice or uh, a consent. I mean, we, we should have some national standards when it comes to uh, that, that we can agree upon and have in federal statute um, across the country. Um, so every state is a little bit different when you look at a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a smaller vision, but when you look at a bigger vision, of course, our work remains as it has been um, to do what we can, the, the law as a teacher, the law is one of the tools that we use, but also we need to do that educational component. We need to do that political opponent, the, the component where we're working with elected officials. Um, but we also need to do that, that grassroots component of working in our churches, working in our chapters, working in our communities, um, and, and educating the next generation um, about how uh, the unborn child has a right to a right to live. And I, I think um you know, it, it, we need more of what we have been doing, and we need to prioritize uh, a little bit more 
state by state what is going to work best to number one protect what we can legislatively and legally but two to do what we can educationally and support wise to bring those abortion numbers down and to make an a, a, you know abortion unthinkable as we move forward so it's 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 a big vision it's a broad vision but i think when we we work at every level whether it's the national level the state level the local chapter level or community by community uh, church by church, uh, you know, pregnancy care center by pregnancy care center, we all have our roles to play. And doing that, that structure is very powerful and has saved millions of lives and, and will save even more in the uh, in the future. Marianne, we have about three minutes left. Do you have another question? I do. And Scott, thank you very much. I think you've really um, certainly painted a beautiful broad picture of of what our challenges are i like how you um instructed you know calling your legislative representatives even whether they're voting as you want them to vote or not you know a thank you to those who voted pro-life and also those who are voting against you to let them know what we expect and what we want as a pro-life people but um and obviously you have a great background in the legislation area, but talk about defending life. What do you feel are the most pressing issues and current challenges for the pro-life movement? Well, I think we've, we, we're in a new uh, era now. Dobbs really was a massive earthquake, I think, for, yes. for the issue. It, it changed the landscape of everything. So it we've did. got it. We've got to reassess where where we are and go back to the kind of the basics. You know, our movement works in the area of education first and foremost. It is primary. Then we work on the legislative end. Then we work on the political so that we can institute uh, protection legally. But it goes back to those building blocks of county by county, town by town, of, of working in your local community and working with every age range there, you know, starting out with the young people on the fetal development, talking about how the right to life is the paramount right from which all other rights can can come uh, from. You know, the, the issue can really be boiled down to, I think, into two questions. Is the unborn child a human being? And as human beings, do we have human rights? And I think the obvious answer to those questions are very, very uh, simply yes. Um, and those are basic building blocks that we need to work to share with people. We need to have them embrace that, get active, be part of us, and work to uh, to restore protection. Um, it is it is a a pivotal time in the pro life movement right now, with so many different avenues and possibilities uh, for us to explore um, to to restore protection. So, um, I mean, it's it's so important to be tied into your local chapter, also to your state network, which ties you into the national network. And that structure in and of itself is very powerful and the best, best structure to actually implement and restore protection for the babies. Um, being part of that network, being part of that structure is hugely important as we move forward. You're a great motivational speaker. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Scott Fishbog of National Right to Life. We thank you so much for being on Positively Pro-Life today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for your continuing support and encouragement. 
And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.